Hello? All right. Oh my goodness, it's so good to see you guys. I'm so excited to be back at Youth Group. Eric, thank you for that introduction. Um, yeah, so like Eric mentioned, uh, when Eric transitions out at the beginning of July, uh, then you're stuck with me. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, um, yeah, kind of filling the role of youth pastor while the church continues to look for um, a kind of a more permanent one. And so if, if you don't like me, great, because that means that I'll be out of your hair soon enough and hopefully a new youth pastor will come in. Uh, if you like me, that's great too. Hopefully I can be a, a little bit of a blessing to you during my time uh, back in youth group. Um, and I know a lot of you already. Um, I think I've changed a lot of your diapers at some point in, in life. Uh, and so it is a really a huge thrill for me to be able to kind of see how God has grown uh, this youth group, both numerically, physically, and even spiritually. Uh, I'm just so excited to be able to, um, to, to walk alongside you in this upcoming season in youth ministry. Um, so some of you may not know me, um, so I'm one of the associate pastors here. There's a lot of pastors here, um, but I'll, I'll show you a picture of my family real quick. Can you throw that up there? So this is my family. We took this a couple years ago, so everyone's a little taller. Abby's like crazy tall. She's like five feet tall now. But anyway, that's me in the middle, obviously. Um, uh, the beautiful woman standing to my side is my wife, Jamie. So we've been married, I should know this, 14 years now. And we actually met when we were freshmen in high school, you know? So uh, do with that what you will. Um, and uh, I love her to death. She's the best. She's absolutely the best part of my family. Um, and my oldest daughter, Abby, is 10. She's just finishing up fourth grade. And so she's a year away from being in youth group, which blows my mind. Uh, and then there's Sophie. Uh, she is finishing up second grade, and um, she's kind of our sassy middle child. Um, and, and Owen is, that look pretty much says it all. That's, that's, that's his personality. So he's, he's, a, he's a funny guy. He is uh, going into first grade next year. And you, like, you probably will see, you've seen them around at church and stuff like that, and I know they would love to meet you. Uh, it's kind of this weird thing, right, like that if a teenager says hi to you as like a little child, right? You are like a god unto them. So if you just said hi to them, it would mean the world to them. They would just love to get to know you guys better. Um, and I am looking forward to uh, this summer uh, in youth ministry. We have a great summer planned. And so um, I'll be teaching a little bit, uh, but you're also going to get a chance to hear from some of our newer youth staff. So, so Rich is uh, kind of a new volunteer in youth staff. Go ahead and wave your hand, Rich, to everybody. So Rich will be teaching sometime in July. We have a couple of summer interns that are joining us. So Viet over there will be teaching, I think, at some point. Uh, I don't even know if he knows that yet. So congratulations, you're teaching at some point. And then Isaac, who's not here tonight, he'll be teaching uh, later on in the summer as well. Um, I hear there's a Disneyland trip planned. Is that right? So I came at the right time. This is great. Awesome. Good timing. Um, and some of you may have no idea who I am. I hope that you'll come up to me and introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know you better. Uh, it will become very clear as time goes on. Um, you'll discover that I am a very awkward person. Just like right now, this is real awkward, right? Um, you know, like maybe you find yourself in this kind of situation. Like one thing that I find really awkward nowadays is knowing how to greet people, right? Like post-COVID, like are handshakes a thing, right? Have you gone for that yet? Like where you, you can, your hand kind of moves in like a vague, ambiguous direction and you're not sure if it's a handshake, if it's like a fist bump, if it's like an elbow thing and you're kind of just like, you know, doing weird stuff together and you're not sure what's going to happen. Um, like there was one time where I was eating with someone and I don't know how this happened, but right before we prayed for the meal, I instinctively grabbed his hand. And I just held his hand while we prayed for his lunch. And he was like, he's like a 60-year-old man. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why I did it. I have no idea. It was super awkward, right? Or here's another thing that happens a lot, especially here at church. You ever say goodbye to somebody, like in the lobby, 
or right? You say, oh, I'll see you later. And you both walk out the door together, right? And you're like walking through the parking lot together and like you're going, your car is parked in the same spot and you're going in the exact same direction. You said goodbye like five minutes ago. It's super awkward. What do you do? And you have to say goodbye again. Um, I feel like in that last situation, I feel that's kind of like where we are in youth ministry right now, right? Because Eric, Pastor Eric, said goodbye last week. And yet, he's still here. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, we're, he's in a little less than a month, he's going to be stepping down from youth ministry. He preached his last youth group message. This Sunday is his last Sunday sermon. He's already kind of said goodbye, but we have this like month-long walk in the parking lot to kind of, until he leaves. And, and honestly, it's a little awkward. What do we say? What do we do? And my, my, my question tonight is, how do we make this month just a little less awkward? How do we make this month a little less awkward? How do we say goodbye to Eric? How do we say goodbye to a pastor that we love? Now, we're not the first people ever to be in this situation to face this predicament. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts. So you can turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, where a church had to do something very similar. There was a church that had to say goodbye to a pastor that they loved a lot. And we're going to learn from their example. So turn to Acts chapter 20. Okay, Acts chapter 20. So while you're turning there, or looking up the table of contents so you can turn there, that's, there's no shame in that either. Uh, we're approaching the end of the book of Acts. This, chapter 20 is kind of the end of the book. And the book of Acts is the story of how the gospel advances in the world after Jesus dies, is resurrected, and ascends back into heaven. And the gospel is now going forth into the world and people are getting saved so that also eventually people here in Torrance on a Friday night get to hear the gospel. And we're thousands of miles away from where it all happened in Israel. And one of the main people that God used to spread the gospel in the book of Acts was a man named the Apostle Paul. Now, probably if you've been in the church for a long time, you know Paul, right? He's an apostle. He's one, he was someone who was chosen specifically by God to be this instrument that he was going to use to, to advance the gospel in the world after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And what made Paul such a unique figure to do this was because he was the least likely person to do it, right? Before he became a Christian, he was a hardcore Jew who hated Jesus, and hated Christianity, hated everything Christians were about. And God got a hold of him, and he transformed him in a miraculous way and saved him. And God used him to advance the gospel in that region across the world. And what he would do is he would travel around, he would evangelize, tell people about Jesus, he would teach, he would start churches in various cities. But at some point in his ministry, at this point in Acts 20, he gets to this part point where, where God makes it really clear to him that he's supposed to go back to Jerusalem, the place that anyone, everyone hates him because essentially he's like a defector, a traitor to the Jewish cause. And people are begging him not to go back to Jerusalem. They're begging him because they know that he will face opposition and threats upon his life. It'd be like if I were to tell you, you know what? So I'm, I'm from San Francisco, so that means I am a Giants fan, Okay. Already, I've lost all credibility with all of you, right? So I, I'm a Giants fan, and it would be like me telling you, like, okay, I'm going to Dodger Stadium, and I'm preaching the good news of Giants baseball. And probably a lot of people are like, yeah, I mean, the, the, you're not going to make it out alive, right? That you're going to get assaulted, and you're going to get beat up. You're going you're to come out like a mangled mess. It's not a good idea. You wouldn't send me there, right? You wouldn't send me there, would you? All right, we'll talk about that later. Um, so on his way to Jerusalem, he's dead set. He's going to go. 
He's not sure if he's going to make it back. But on his way, he wants to say goodbye to one of the churches that he helps to start. It's the church in the city of Ephesus. Okay, in the city of Ephesus. He had a really special relationship with the church in the city of Ephesus. Right? Sometimes when he would go to a city, he would stay there for like a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. But in Ephesus, he stayed there for three years. He loved this people that much. He wanted to stay with them for an extended period of time. So he's sailing on a boat on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going near Ephesus, and he wants to say goodbye to them. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 20. And, um, and I think, so we'll kind of do a little bit of a running start into our passage today, but I want you to start at verse 14. I think this part is super funny, okay? So this is, the person that's writing this, his name is Luke, and he was kind of like a buddy of Paul's. And he said, and Luke writes, when he, Paul, met us at Asus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, there's a lot of cities here. We don't always know where they are. Weirdly enough, like our intern Keith, he was just in these cities. Like he went on a trip to like Greece and Turkey, which is, Turkey is what they, uh, is called Asia Minor. That's when they're talking about when they're talking about Asia. It's talking about the country of Turkey. And so he was actually here. I was talking about it this morning. And so, yeah, so Paul went to Miletus and said, oh yeah, I went there. I was there like a, a week ago. It's like, it's really bizarre. But anyway, so Paul is like sailing past all these cities, okay? And he stops in the city of Miletus. And he decides, it says in verse 16, to sail past Ephesus. So Ephesus is like the city where people are, this church that he wants to say goodbye to. He sails past them. Now why? It says because he didn't want to have to linger in Asia. He wanted to hasten on to Jerusalem. He was in a hurry. He had to get going. And he didn't want to stop in Ephesus. Now look at verse 17. Now from Miletus, this is the city where he decided to go to, to skip Ephesus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, so he's in Miletus because he deliberately didn't want to go to Ephesus, and he sends a messenger to Ephesus, which is like a four days walk, okay? And so he sends like a, a messenger four days, and the elders like, wait, he was just here, he was, he was off the coast, he didn't want to stop and say, we had to walk four days to go talk to this guy? I would have been super mad. Like, like, why in the world, if you wanted to talk to me, just stop. It would have been super efficient. You say you want to hasten on to Jerusalem? Stop here. Get, I don't know. I thought it was really funny. So anyway, he calls the elders and the pastors of the church to come to him so he can say goodbye to them. And, they can, <clears throat> and so that they can say goodbye to him. And what we're going to read in the following verses is this touching, powerful goodbye. The church in Ephesus loved him. And, they, or, and he loved them and they loved him. And I think that we can learn a lot from their example about how to say goodbye. All right, this, this may feel really dramatic, right? Because like, Eric is not the Apostle Paul. Let's just like, kind of <laughs> put that out there on the table right away, right? He's not going to his death, as far as we know. It's Texas, though. Who knows, man? Um, it is, but, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, because we don't want to make the mistake of, like, saying, oh, Eric is the Apostle Paul in this situation. It is really funny, though. There's a story that happens right before the passage we're reading, okay? So the Apostle Paul is teaching in a city. And this is in the, like, the beginning part of chapter 20. I won't read it out, but I'll just summarize it for you. He's teaching in the city, and he teaches crazy long. It says he teaches into the night. So there's so much that they have like light candles and stuff. And it says that there's a young man who grew tired. And he was so tired, he fell asleep. 
and fell out a window and died because his pastor preached for too long. And then Paul goes out and raises him from the dead and brings him back upstairs and keeps preaching until the morning. Okay? And, and then look at what he says. Actually, I wanted you to see this passage um, in, uh, where is it? Uh, in verse tw- chapter 20, verse 12, okay? After that whole story. And they took the youth away alive. That's, in, that's what they called the boy. Like, he was a youth, right? I feel like that is the banner that flies over this youth group. At the end of the Friday night, they took you away alive. You survived it, okay? Uh, so maybe Eric is kind of like Paul, after all, you know? Um, but I think that we find ourselves in this, this season right now in a very unique window of time where you are getting to say goodbye to a pastor that has loved you and you love. And I think we ought to learn something from this example of, this, of Paul the pastor and the church in Ephesus. Um, and so before we do that, let me pray for us as we kind of go through this passage and we'll uh, ask for God's help. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would be gracious to us as we look at this, this passage of Scripture and, and learn from the, the saints that you put before us. God, we are so grateful uh, that you care for your church and love your church and you love every student in this church, every staffer, that you love Eric and, every, um, and his family. And, and God, we're just so thankful that whatever steps are taken in the future uh, by this church and this youth group, that we know it comes out of your love. And so, God, we pray that as we look at the story, that we would feel your love emanating from it, that we would have a confidence that you are doing good and great and wonderful things in the life of your church. So bless us tonight. Help us be attentive, uh, more attentive than uh, the young man was who fell out the window. But we pray that you would give us that life tonight to be able to, to pay attention to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So three lessons I think we can learn from uh, the story. And I won't read it ahead of time because it's kind of a long one. We'll just kind of take it as it comes. Um, But we'll learn three lessons from this story about how to say goodbye. And the first lesson is to look back at God's grace. Look back at God's grace. So Paul meets with the Ephesian elders and he starts off his goodbye by reminding them of what his relationship with them has been like. He wants them to remember what his ministry to them was like and how filled it was with grace. Look at verse 17 in chapter 20. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone, or I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
So this seems like a really weird way to start to say goodbye to your friends, right? It's like, hey, you remember all the awesome stuff I did? That's essentially, that's kind of the way it feels maybe the first time you read it. But Paul's not trying to boast. He's not trying to make himself the center of attention. He's trying to remind these Ephesian pastors of all the ways that God was gracious to them during his ministry. So that whatever the future looked like, they can remember that God was good to them and he will continue to be good to them. Again, Eric is not Paul, but I really do see echoes of what Paul's ministry was like for the Ephesians in Eric's ministry to you and in his ministry to me. And every time you look back on this season of life when Eric Kai was your youth pastor, I want you to think about how God was gracious. As I read through Paul's kind of autobiography of ministry and all the things that he pointed to in God's grace in his ministry to the Ephesians, I can see a few different traits that I can also recognize in Eric. I think first is humility. I think it's one of the ways that God has been gracious to you is through Eric's humility. Paul in verse 19, said that he was serving the Lord with all humility. Right? Paul was an apostle. He was handpicked by God. Jesus had appeared to him in a special vision. He was this key instrument in God establishing his church, and yet he was humble. He constantly put the need of others before his own. He regarded others as better than himself. There was no job that was too low for him, no opportunity to serve that was beneath him. He was a humble man. And that's honestly one of the things I appreciate the most about Eric. He is, without exaggeration, one of the most humble people I know. Right? True humility is on display when no one is looking. That's how you can tell when you're really humble. It's when you're doing when no one is looking and no one is asking. I can think of millions of ways that I see Eric doing this in big and small ways. Just the small things he does, right? Like, after church events, if he's there, you'll almost always find him washing dishes. No one ever asks him to, he just, he just does it. You'll find him like setting up tables for events and t- tearing down tables after events, throwing away trash. Like Eric is always throwing away trash. Like when I was at, uh, so I performed his wedding, okay? So, uh, and uh, it, was, it was the most bizarre thing. So he, there's a part of the service where like, he had to, you know, turn around from the altar and kind of go somewhere else and turn around. And there was a, a, like a wrapper, like a candy wrapper on the ground at his wedding. And he bent down and picked it up and put it in his pocket. Because what does Eric do? He picks up trash. <laughs> That's just what he does as a humble servant. Um, he, actually, I have a picture. I think it's the last picture in that bank of slides. This is Eric after he preached his last sermon to you. He served you by giving you the word of God and then he served you by taking out your trash. And look, who are those students that are like right behind him? They like are totally ignoring him. They're playing basketball. They're walking, watching this pastor walk out holding all this trash. So tonight, I do not want to see Eric holding a trash bag. One of you, one of you is picking up this trash and putting it in the dumpster. Yes? Can I get an agreement? Someone. Someone's doing it, okay? He is a humble, humble man. We'll leave that picture up there. Thanks, Wayne. Okay. Um, another characteristic I see, uh, uh, evidence of God's grace, is, is love. Right? Paul said that he served the Lord, in verse 19, with all humility and with tears. Later on in verse 31, he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years it did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul cared deeply for the Ephesian church, and Eric cared 
and cares deeply for you. I mean, if you've known him for any amount of time, can you, can you think of a time when he was just with you and sat with you and patiently listened to you, asked you good questions about your life and your interests and the way things, how things are going? He gently offered truth from God's word. And can, I hope that every person here who has had Eric as a pastor can remember those moments. I guarantee you they've been there. I can certainly remember them. Remember examples of his love for you. Uh, another facet of God's grace, uh, I think, that we see in both Eric's life and in Paul's life is faithful living. Faithful living. For Paul, you see it in verse 22. He's, and Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So what God told Paul was, I want you to go to Jerusalem, period. And, and Paul didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know what was going to happen in Jerusalem other than the fact that he was going to suffer for preaching the gospel. But he was dead set on doing it because he thought that was what God wanted him to do, even if it cost him. That's faithful living. It's knowing what God wants you to do and doing it. And I feel like I've seen Eric live this out in so many ways. And even in, in his choice to move to Texas, I think we should be excited that he's trying to live faithfully. Right? There are a lot of unknowns. In some ways, it probably would be easier, right, and more comfortable for him to stay here. But before the Lord, he is determined that this is the best stewardship of his life, his relationships. He wants to honor the Lord, and he thinks this is what God wants him to do. And he's going to do it. That's faithful living. I hope that's one of the things that you can remember and you can emulate. That as you try to discern what it is that God wants you to do, as soon as you just know what that is, as soon as God's word makes it clear and the worship of your heart makes it clear, this is what God wants me to do, you do it. That's what faithful Christian living is. You live faithfully. And the last thing I think we see of God's grace in Eric's example is faithful teaching. Faithful teaching. Um, so Paul says in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. One of the main responsibilities of a pastor is to teach the word of God to the people of God. Right? A pastor, a preacher, a minister of the gospel is not here to tell you funny stories. It's not here to entertain you. I think that one of the greatest testimonies of God's grace to our youth group over the years of Eric's ministry is that he did not shrink from teaching the whole counsel of God to you. He has labored to teach you the fullness of what God's word said. He's not afraid if some of those things are complicated, if they're difficult to grasp. It doesn't matter if you had a long week of school and your brains are fried. If, you, if there's something in God's word that you needed to hear, he was dead set on teaching that to you. If God is the infinite, eternal creator of the universe, and it makes sense that there are things that about him that are complicated and difficult to grasp and hard to understand. And by God's grace, Eric has uncompromisingly, unashamedly taught you the whole counsel of God. Whatever God's word said, he taught it. And I can't overemphasize for you what a tremendous gift that is. So I grew up in the church. I went to a church that probably wasn't, it was a Christian church, but it wasn't a great one, I would say. The Bible was around. We knew the Bible was important, but 
it wasn't like someone just opened up the word of God and said, this is what it means. It was a lot of funny stories, personal examples, you know, tear-jerking kind of illustrations to kind of get you motivated and move your emotions and things like that. But I really didn't know the Bible coming out of high school. And it wasn't until I got to college where I started to meet pastors whose sole goal in preaching was to say, this is what the Bible says, and this is what it means. Therefore, you must obey. And as soon as someone began to open the word of God for me and tell me, this is what it says about who God is, that this shallow, you know, elementary, simplistic view of God that you have from these people who weren't preachers at all, that, that faulty image of God is insufficient. And the God of the Bible is so much bigger and greater and more beautiful than you could ever possibly imagine. And my mind exploded when someone opened up the word of God for me. And I remember thinking when I was in college, how come no one ever told me? Why didn't anyone ever tell me this is the way things really are? And brothers and sisters, Eric has told you. He has opened up the word of God to you. And we joke about how long his servants are. But it's because he wants to open the whole counsel of God to you and show you the greatness and majesty of this God. So in the next month or so that we have Eric, how can you reflect on God's grace in his ministry to you? How has God used him in his ministry to point you to Christ, to grow your faith, to help you in your struggles or in your faith? I realize that maybe, maybe there's some new people here tonight who's like, I have no idea who Eric is, you know? And that's okay. Uh, I hope you can get to know him tonight and say hi to him. I think you'd be blessed by his friendship. But can I challenge you, if you have been here for a while and, and have a history with him, have a relationship with him, just be thinking about that. Like, how, God, how have you been gracious to me as Eric has been my youth pastor? And can I challenge you to share that with him? You write him a note, send him a text, have a really awkward conversation with him. Right? This kind of moment doesn't happen very often. We have a long time to be able to say goodbye to a pastor that you love, and you don't want to waste that opportunity to remember that grace. You know, maybe shifting gears a little bit, I can think of another group of people who are going to be saying goodbye soon too, and that's the seniors who are graduating. Any seniors? Who are the seniors at? Okay, awesome, man. Um, or Caleb's already graduated, so you're like free and clear. Man, look at that guy. Not care in the world. Um, you realize if you're a senior that you are on the cusp of saying goodbye in a very significant way, right? And it may feel like, oh, I just have another summer, but I I guarantee you that if you, especially if you leave home, right, things will never quite be the same again. And for some of you, if you're leaving home, this right now is the longest period of time that you will have been at home for the rest of your life. And there may never be a time in your life again where you stay at home for like a long period of time. At least maybe that's what your parents are hoping. They're trying to kick you out of the house and be done with you. And how you have a limited window of time now before you leave for college. And my challenge for you, even looking at Paul's example, is can you say goodbye well? Can you follow Paul's example? And will you be able to say in your final months at home, in your final transition before you leave, when your parents drop you off at school or you get ready to move out, what will that goodbye look like? Will you be able to say that you served humbly? Will you be able to say that you loved them? That you lived faithfully at home? That you saturated your relationships with the truth and the whole counsel of God's word? 
So as we say goodbye, I want us to be thinking about how we've seen God's grace at work in Eric's ministry. The second lesson we learned from this story is that we need to care for the church. We need to care for the church. In verse 28, Paul is transitioning from what he has done to what he hopes the Ephesian church will do. And I know that Eric has these same hopes for you. And I have the same hopes for you. Look at verse 28. So he's given kind of this big you know, statement of, here all the things I've done, and now here's a command, the first command in this whole um, speech. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So he says he wants them to pay careful attention. Watch over the church. And the church has two groups of people that he lists here. He says, yourselves, watch over yourselves and all the flock. Watch over yourself and everybody else in the church. Paul's about to leave them, right? He doesn't know if he's going to see them again. He wants to make sure that they're keeping watch over themselves and the people that they are responsible for. So as we prepare for Eric's transition out of youth ministry and into a new season of youth ministry, what can we do in his absence? We need to pay careful attention to ourselves, to our own souls, and we need to pay careful attention to others. You need to, so as Eric is transitioning out, you need to make sure that you are caring for your own soul. That's what it says in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Right, he's talking to pastors here. Now, why would he say that to pastors? It's because if you're a leader, you can't lead anybody anywhere where you have not been. And he's trying to communicate to these pastors that the most important part of how they love and serve one another is to make sure that their hearts are in a healthy place before the Lord. They need to pay careful attention to yourselves. And hopefully, you know, like, I I think sometimes when we think about ourselves, we think of ourselves in the wrong way, right? If I were to ask you, how are you doing, right? How do you normally answer those kinds of questions? I feel like oftentimes... The thing we talk about the most are things like this. Oh, you know, I've got, got finals coming up. They're really crazy. My mom's driving me up the wall. She's asking me to do all these kinds of things. Um, you know, my generic sports team is doing really poorly. I'm really stressed out about that. Um, I don't know. I'm just really tired. All right. So what is it that we're talking about most of the time when we think, when someone asks us, how are you doing? Right? Or how are you? We talk about the stuff that we're doing. We talk about the circumstances of our life. We talk about all the kind of the furniture in the room, and we're not talking about you. What is the the most important thing about you? How is your relationship with the Lord? Are you enjoying Him? Are you spending time with Him? Are you allowing His love for you to saturate your life? So when Paul is saying, keep watch over yourselves, he's not saying like, you know, make sure that you brush your teeth. He's saying, keep track of the most important part of who you are, your relationship with the Lord. So summer is just around the corner, maybe not close enough around the corner for some of you. And maybe some of you already have tons of plans for what you want to do. 
What are your plans for your soul? What do you need to do this summer to care for your own soul? What are the habits that you need to build into your life? How can you spend time with God in his word and in prayer to make sure that you are obeying this command to pay careful attention to yourself? And hopefully that's something you guys can brainstorm together in your small groups. I think the best thing that a pastor could hope for as he leaves a ministry is that in the days and months and years to come, that you look a little more like Jesus than you did before. That would just be such a thrill to any pastor. Right? If Eric were to come back in six months, a year, because he hates Texas, what will he find? Will he find a youth group full of students that love Jesus more because they were paying careful attention to their souls? So you need to care for yourself, your own soul. You need to care for others as well. He goes on in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul's talking to the pastors of this church. He wants to remind them to take care of themselves as well as the people of God that, he, that, has, that God has entrusted to them. In his absence, he wants these leaders to be reminded they have a responsibility for the souls and spiritual well-being of the people that God has placed into their lives. So you're not pastors, but God has still entrusted people and relationships to you that you are responsible for. That was very dramatic. Yeah. So if you're a member of this church family, if you're part, if you would say that you go to this church, if you go to this youth group, then one of the most important resources, one of the most valuable assets that we have as a youth group is each other. Do you realize that? That for as much as it is a significant thing that we're, we're you know, transitioning out a youth pastor, some of the most important things are staying the same. Namely, you. The friendships and relationships and brotherhood and sisterhood you share in Christ is one of the most important elements of what it means for us to be a church together. Um, when I was in high school, just about going into my senior year, it was kind of when I really started wanting to take my faith seriously. And I, again, I didn't really know what to do with that, you know? But the thing that really propelled me into another gear of intensity in my spiritual life were my friends. And so one of my best friends uh, in high school was actually Pastor Wayne, so our, our family ministry pastor. So he and I have been friends ever since like first grade all the way up till now, right? Now we share an office and we'll never, he can't get rid of me at all. And, but Wayne has always been kind of an intense guy. And, uh, and so there are a bunch of us, all these Christian guys, but there are six guys who were really getting convicted about wanting to take our faith seriously and wanting to evangelize the lost, wanting to fight lust and, it, and, to, and to, to take purity seriously. And we said, what can we do? How can we, how can we kind of grow in these areas? And we said, we have to do this together. If we try to do this on our own, there's no way that we're going to be able to figure this out. We have to do this together. And so we started meeting, you know, about once a month and just praying intensely and just trying to keep each other accountable and talking about things that were hard, reading scripture together. We would go evangelize people together. And, my, and so, again, these guys are kind of intense. And one of the guys said he decided that he was going to name our group of friends, okay? And the name he decided on was Rainbow Six. Do you guys know what that is? Do any of you guys know what that is? Okay, so it's, it's a video game, right? Right, so it was a video game based on a book that came out when I was in middle school about this like 
multinational like anti-terrorism group that assembled together to defeat evil in the world. And because there were six of us, this one of the guys said, dude, that's so cool. If we're like this anti-terrorism group for God, right? You know, and, and so we kind of got all fired up. And so they made me like a keychain with R6 on it. And I was like, this is a little, a little intense. But honestly, it was one of the most important groups of friends I had in life. And it wasn't because a pastor told us to do it. It wasn't because there was some spiritual figure that said, this is what you got to do. It was just friends joining together to hold each other accountable and to try to pay careful attention to ourselves. What would that look like for you? Choose a better name than I did, please. But have those friendships. I mean, you get together in small groups all the time in youth group, right? Why is that? It's so that you can bear each other's burdens and be part of that keeping careful attention to each other. I think one of the ways we need to care for one another is in protecting each other from things that would cause us to drift away from the Lord. We need to remind each other of what is true so that we're not tempted by things that are untrue. And that was a real big concern for Paul in the Ephesian church. Look at verse 29, chapter 20. So I know, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul is speaking of a great danger that threatens the church, and that's the danger of false teaching, false worldviews, wrong ways of thinking that threaten to creep in and corrupt the church. And the scary thing, Paul says, is that they were going to come from within the church. The danger wasn't going to be like outside of them. It was within the walls of the church. Now, I'm not, I don't have anyone in mind. I'm not thinking like, Darren, this is the guy right here. You know? but, I, but, but I think that sometimes we are more like this than we care to admit. When you think about your relationships, your friendships with people at church, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, what are those relationships centered on? What are, what's the, the, the gravity well that tends to pull you in, that kind of, everything kind of circles around those things all the time? The stuff you think about, the stuff you talk about. What is your relationship really based on? What do you do most together? What do you talk about most together? It's probably nothing awful, right? It's probably just everyday life stuff. It's like school and sports, gaming, TikTok. And nothing's necessarily wrong with any of that stuff. But if that's the only thing that makes up our relationships. If that is the center of our relationships, then what we've done to ourselves is we've really centered ourselves on something other than Christ. And that's what false teaching really is. It's just anything that gets you to move the center of your life, the center of your relationships away from Jesus. That's our subtle version of speaking twisted things that draw disciples away. Like, I can't, I, I'm, if, just today I was in the office with Wayne and and he was talking about something, you know, he's been thinking about spiritually. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I had this thought in my mind. Dude, have you seen Top Gun yet? <laughs> and like, it was the best movie ever. And that was, the, that was my follow-up to his like intense conversation that he had. And I think what I was doing, I was drawing him away from this intensely important thing. And I was being a false teacher in that moment. We were not focusing ourselves on Christ in our friendship. Now, I think we should talk about normal everyday things. Of course we're going to. But do your friendships with other believers, your friendships here at church, do they consist of more than that? Here are three questions I think you can ask somebody, okay, to try to center your relationship on Christ better. 
You can ask somebody, how's your soul? How is your soul? What has God been teaching you recently? And how can I be praying for you? I mean, if you just ask those questions, I guarantee you that Jesus will come right into the middle every time. And yeah, that will feel really weird. But as Christians, it shouldn't. I guarantee you it'll feel weird the first couple times it does, you, know, you do it, but it will feel less weird over time. And this should be the most normal thing in the world for Christians to talk about Christ together. So this summer, here's something I want you to think about. Who can you invest in this summer? And how can you center that relationship on Christ? You're going to break them into small groups in a little bit. How can you center those friendships on Christ this summer? What creative ideas do you have that you can share with one another? How can we center our time together on Christ? Let's, what if we got together and we read the Bible once a week? We just read the Bible and talked about it. Um, this is a great book called One-to-One Bible Reading that essentially teaches you how to do that. We just take the Bible and you read it with a friend. And you talk about what it means. You don't have to know what it means. You just got to talk about what you think it means and try to figure it out. But if we just read God's word together, that centers us on what's truly important. Or maybe you think, let's find a way to serve together this summer. So I know there's like 10 slots left in VBS, so maybe 10 of you can serve together in VBS. Maybe, what about this? What if you asked your parents, right? Mom or dad, is there something that you need help with around the house? Like a big project that you just need some young legs for. And just get a bunch of your friends to come and help. I have those kinds of projects. So if you are looking for something to do, you can come to my house and have lots of weeding that I, I could use some assistance with. But how can you center your relationships? How can you center your relationships around Christ? Because that is what will help you to keep a careful watch over each other. Okay, the final lesson, the final lesson that we will look at is to cling to God in his gospel. Cling to God in his gospel. So Paul wraps up his goodbye, and so we should be wrapping up this message. And he's, he's leaving them, right? But he's not leaving them alone. He is trusting that something else is going to hold them and sustain them and keep them. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. You will have God, and you will have his gospel. And because of that, I'm leaving you in good hands. So it's true. Eric is leaving, but we're not alone. He's not leaving us in the hands of a new pastor or a new leadership or a new way of doing things. He's leaving us in the hands of the same God and the same gospel that has kept this youth group for all these years we still have the same God, right? the same God who is in control of every atom of the universe, who reigns in power, who is holy, who is mighty, who is above all, over all, and who is gentle and lowly and loving and compassionate. He's near to you and he's in you if you're a Christian. God hasn't changed. And his love for you, which Eric spoke so powerfully of last week, God's love for you hasn't changed. His plan for you hasn't changed. His plan for this church hasn't changed. We have the same God. And we have the same word of his grace. We have the same gospel. 
right? The same reality that God is holier than you thought he could ever be, that you are worse off in your sin than you ever thought possible, but the love of God is greater than you could have ever imagined. The great word of grace that, that Jesus has come to you and through his death and resurrection has made a way for you to have a relationship with God. And because of that, you have eternal life and hope in this life. That same gospel is going to be the same on July 6th after Eric leaves as it is today and in millions of years to come. Paul says that the God is going to use this gospel to do two things, that it will build you up. Do you see that? It will build you up. Paul said goodbye to his friends, believing that when he left, they were going to be better. They were going to love Jesus more and look more like Jesus. Do you believe that will happen? Do you believe that that for all the changes that are going to be happening, that, that God is going to use his gospel to actually build you up and make you better? And he says that God will also give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's talking about eternal reward, the eternal blessing that comes after this life is over. So God will be with you and he'll sustain you to get you across the finish line of life. He will get you through to the end. And that means that every part of life before the end, he will also get you through. He'll get you through the rest of the school year. Thank God, because I'm sure it feels like it will never come. He will get you through the summer. He'll get you through this transition in youth ministry. He's going to get you through college and everything else beyond. And I know this is true. I know this is true because I've seen this happen before. So seven years ago, this youth group looked really different. So I was the youth pastor seven years ago. I think there must have been like a dozen high school students, okay? Maybe a dozen, like on a really booming day when we had like free pizza or something. Maybe there were like 25 junior high students. But in a lot of ways, it looked very similar because the youth group was also going through a transition. So I was stepping down from youth ministry after many years. And a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed intern that lived in my backyard was going to be made the youth pastor. And that was Eric Kai. And people knew Eric. He'd been interning in youth ministry for years. And they knew him. They loved him. They trusted him. But right, anytime there's change, right, there's, there's always going to be some nervousness and some uncertainty. And here we are, seven years after that. I looked it up, like when I left, because I, I blocked all that part out from my mind. You know? And I think it was like December of 2015. And what has God and the gospel done in those seven years since Eric has been the youth pastor? He has done exactly what Paul said would happen for the Ephesians. God has built us up. I mean, you can see it literally, physically, right? Like some of you guys are huge now, right? And numerically, you're huge. This youth group looks totally unrecognizable now. The first time I came and preached for junior high as a guest preacher, I almost had like a panic attack. I was like, this is insane how many little people there are in this youth group now. I think there are more people in youth group now than there were like total members of the whole church when we started. But more than building you up in size, I think of the ways that he's built you up spiritually, where you look more like Jesus than you did seven years ago. Again, I'm pretty sure I changed some of your diapers, right? But now to see some of you guys like leading worship, serving my kids in children's ministries, like watching you share meaningfully and deeply in your small groups, wrestling with hard questions, And I look at the youth that were in youth group that are now like frigging old and and how faithfully they serve now. Like Justin, where's Justin at? Is he here? 
Oh, there you are. Yeah, see, God built him up. Not, not physically. He's the same height. But God built him up spiritually. Uh, Mia is in the back, I think. Nicole, is Nicole in? She's not in here, is she? Oh, no, oh, is she? Where is she? Oh, oh she's in junior high. Okay, yeah, Nicole, um, Seth Amano. I remember the first, you guys know Seth, right? So, yeah, Seth was like, I remember the first time he ever came to youth group. It was a guy's night in, a sleepover, and he didn't know it was a sleepover. And, but he came in and he saw the guys playing with Nerf guns. He was in junior high. And he's like, dude, I'm living here now. And, and he was a super weird child. And now he's a super weird adult. It's great. But to see him grow in his faith has been just a joy and a delight. I can see seven years later how much more God did when I left youth ministry and when Eric became the youth pastor. And now that Eric is leaving and we're looking forward to a new season, that same God that same gospel that got us to where we are today will sustain us for tomorrow and the day after that. Let's uh, go ahead and skip down to verse 36 and kind of land the plane. So Paul finishes saying what he wants to say. And when he had said these things, verse 36, he knelt down and prayed with them, with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Right, you can see this, like, the sadness in the Ephesian church. But it's a good sadness. It's a good sadness because they loved him. And he loved them. And I know some of you are probably feeling that way too as you think about Eric leaving. Some of you still, even at this point, are saying, like, wait, he's leaving? You, know, you just haven't, hasn't registered for you yet? And if you are sad, that's Okay. Right? That sadness is a good thing. Sadness is a reminder that God has brought something good into your life, even if he decides it's time for that thing to go away. And you've had a pastor who has loved you and led you, and it's okay to be sad. I'm sad. I never show it, though. And I love this little last verse at the end. That sentence says, they accompanied him to the ship. Right? Like, they're, they're embracing him and hugging and kissing him and it's almost like they don't want to let him go, but they know he has to. And so what do they do? They walk him to the ship, right up to the dock, onto the ship. Why? Because they want to savor and enjoy Paul as long as possible before he leaves. They didn't try to keep him from leaving. They just wanted to be with him as long as possible. They wanted to savor and enjoy that friendship with him right up to the moment that he had to sail away. I hope that's your experience with Eric in the next month. We've got a long, awkward goodbye month ahead of us. So let's truly make it a good bye, a good farewell. Right? We look at what they did. They embraced Paul. That is probably appropriate. A kiss is probably not. Maybe a side hug. You know? But I, hope you, I just hope you get to talk to Eric in the next month and express your gratitude. And if you can, be specific. I know how some of you guys will shuffle up to him at some point because your small group leader told you, thank you, we appreciate you. That's cool. Praise God for that. But if you can be more specific in expressing your gratitude to him, I think God would be honored, and I know Eric would be honored. I hope you can tell Eric how you feel about his ministry and what a blessing it's been. I also hope that you can tell God how we feel. I hope we can see that Eric's ministry to us has been from God. Right? This is not something that we deserved. You and I don't deserve to have a youth pastor that loves you and teaches God's word to you. That is a grace from God. 
God was kind to allow Eric to be the youth pastor here for many years. And God is the one that deserves all the credit and all the praise. And so, um, yeah, I think we will follow their example. Um, Eric, I know we're probably going to say goodbye to you a little bit more formally later on as, as, the, uh, as the, you know, your time kind of winds down. I know we're still a month away, but can we follow the Ephesian elders' example and maybe Eric come over here and everyone else, we're going to do something real awkward. We're just going to kind of cram around Eric and we're just going to give a big old hug. Come here. Come on. Come on. Let's go. You ever notice sometimes in churches when they, like, they say goodbye to somebody, they like lay on hands? You guys know what that is? It's like a physical way of showing that you were sending them off with God's grace, okay? And so I know that Eric is going to, we'll, we'll do this again for him in some way, but I figured like, you know, this is probably the la- one of the last times we'll get to do this when it's just the high school group, right? This group that he's ministered to really particularly. So what we'll do is we'll, um, it's kind of crowded over here, isn't it? So Eric's going to move right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to just come and kind of lay hands on him, okay? So you can just put your hand on his shoulder. And if you can't reach him, then we'll do kind of a transitive laying on of hands, okay? So you can lay on hands of someone that's laying on the hands of someone else, and we'll just kind of make a big old chain. So come on over, and let's, yeah, let's do this. Pretend like COVID doesn't exist. Okay. Okay, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, um, a pro tip here on laying out of hands. It's very tiring, especially when someone prays for the crazy long. You'll find this as you get older in the Christian life. Someone will pray for like hours and your arm's like dying. So here's a, here's a trick. If you want to shorten your arm so it's not like too crazy, you know, that's okay. But let me, let me pray for Eric and, um, and we'll, we'll, just be, we'll thank God for uh, his ministry to us. God, we are so thankful uh, for the grace uh, of Eric's ministry Thank you for the ways that he has been a friend to so many in this room and a faithful pastor. I, I, I know that so much of the fruit that he is uh, from his ministry won't be seen for years. But God, I pray that you would give him uh, uh, just a, a contentment and a peace of knowing that he was faithful to planting these seeds. And we're so thankful that he's been able to see some of that fruit even, uh, even come, to, come to pass in his ministry here. Thank you for these young people and for the ways that they have been a blessing to Eric. I know that they have loved him and served him, and I pray, Father, that they would look back at the season of their life with Eric as their pastor as a time of great joy and thanksgiving. So, God, would you go with Eric, allow him to continue to be faithful in all of life? Would you allow him to, to, to love you with his whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? And would you be with this youth group as we are commended to you and to the word of your grace? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So I think you are dismissed for small groups, um, and we'll catch you guys later.